The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Amplifier Advisors, LLC, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jonathan Aberman. And welcome to this What's Working in Washington Extra. Well, one of the biggest industries in our region is education, and one of the biggest challenges our region faces is where do we find enough technology talent? Our region receives more federal research and development funding than anywhere else in the country, but it often fails to convert those dollars into commercial products. In addition, we often train more digital tech workers than anywhere in the country. Yet our leading technology employers have a constant shortage. Many complain a constant shortage of qualified applicants. The Greater Washington Partnership, one of our region's leading voices on economic growth, has decided to do something about this. We have in the studio Jason Miller, the CEO of the Greater Washington Partnership. Jason, great to see you. You as well, Jonathan. And Jill Klein, Interim Dean of American University's School of Professional and Extended Studies, Infotechnology and Analytics. Great to see you. Likewise. Well, let's talk about the Capital CoLab. This is a new initiative launched by the Greater Washington Partnership. It's a big deal, and I really want to unpack that over the next 25 minutes. So, Jason, I'll begin with you. What are the current talent issues facing our region? I think it's important in answering that question to step back a little bit and think about the way the workplace is evolving. This is a challenge that companies around the country and around the world are facing. How we work is is changing, and it's changing at a faster pace than it has in the past because that the way we work is technology-enabled and heavily linked to larger amounts of data. That means every job function, every single job function, requires an amount of digital proficiency, and that's a skill set uh, that has not been developed at a large enough volume historically. At the same time, more specific jobs, digital tech jobs, the demand within companies across industries is just significantly larger than what workforce and education system currently produces. And the pace of change in those systems needs to move faster than it has been able to do historically. Just to give you one data point, uh, there are about 20,000 uh, graduates with digital technology degrees within our region. There's over 200,000 job openings demanding those skills. That's a 10 to 1 factor. It's an enormous, enormous challenge. Our region faces it in a more profound way than other parts of the country, but this is a national challenge as well. Joe, I know that you're involved now in doing a lot of activities to train people already in the workforce. This sounds to me like um, it's not just technical training, though, right? No, it really, it's, it. you know, I am, one of the things that I've been doing at the university for the past 18 years is I actually teach management information systems and the role of digitization in any kind of organization, whether it's public sector, nonprofit, for profit. And the challenge is, how do you simply embed that thing we like to call being a digital native? What do we do to put that into the workplace not just with people coming out of colleges, but also people who are already in the workplace. So how do we come back as lifelong learners to make sure that we are giving our current employees the benefit of that type of learning? You know, as I hear you talk, both talk about this and I think about prior conversations that many of us have had, this sounds more and more like the 21st century liberal arts background. Are we basically saying instead of reading Aerosmith, you, you have to understand how to code? Is that what we're getting at here? You know, I actually 
I, I'm not necessarily certain all, everybody has to code, but I do think that we're seeing even in um, students whose interest might be English, they're taking coding because they're curious. If you can write, why not also be able to write code? So it's not a requirement, but I do think that what we're finding is that as we look at developing the critical thinking skills of our students, we need to make sure that they can also apply that to digital environments. The role of liberal arts has never been more important because at the end of the day, all of these digital solutions are going to help humans. Mm-hmm. And so we need to always remember that somewhere in there is a human being. And so we need to be able to really think about what's the impact of using this technology? How do we improve lives? I'm a real believer that all of this technology ultimately improves our society, but we need to be cautious. We need context. Yes. Jason, I, I've spoken with you about this in the past, the whole issue of soft skills as well. I know that a lot of your members talk a lot about that. How does this play into those issues? Yeah, look, those types of things, being work ready and having soft skills is absolutely imperative. What we're saying is not everybody should be a a technician. What we're saying is, no, those are important, but you need that alongside. uh, You need that alongside a, a, a level of digital proficiency, whether you're going into a human resources function or whether you're going to be a computer engineer. So how does the lack of what you would describe as digital literacy. I assume we're talking about things like just knowing how to work with Microsoft Windows or understanding how a cell phone works, or what are we talking about when we say digital literacy? It's actually even a little bit more than that. You know, about eight years ago, uh, I was working with some of my colleagues, and we started to talk about how our students were all thumbs. And I actually started teaching a course on digital citizenship Hmm. because I wanted people to start to understand that It isn't just can you use your phone or can you turn on your computer. What we want students to be able to do is we want them to be able to naturally use those devices. And we also really want them to be able to manipulate information. Now, one of the things that comes up really clearly in our environment is data. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the conversations that the businesses and the universities have really had is the importance of making sure that we're able to digitally deal with data. And so that becomes really important. How do you integrate that into this notion of digital literacy? Um, it's, It's part of it. And it's a really important part and a growing part, especially when you start to think about being in the workplace. Jason, from the standpoint of economic development, I know this is a big issue that we're talking about, digital talent and, and how to address it. Why why is it so important for our economic growth to address this issue? What's- sure. I mean, look, talent is the currency by which regional, regional economies are competing globally right now. So the ability to develop retain and attract talent is how is what's going to differentiate economic performance within in, in, within uh, the US and around the world for our region we're the one of the region we're one of the largest regional economies globally third largest in the United States seventh largest in the world we have a fantastically strong and deep higher education system multiple high quality institutions throughout Virginia the district in Maryland Uh, The challenge is if we're going to uh, take advantage 
of the talent pool here, the institutions here, and the assets here, we actually have to be a step ahead, both because uh, it will allow us to differentiate the talent pool here versus others, and because it reinforces the notion of this region being one of the world's leading innovation hubs, which is you need both. You need the system working and you need the perception of the place so that you can attract and retain uh, the talent you need you know, in the years and decades ahead. And the potentiality is very strong. Before we came on the air, you mentioned that this region ranks very high as the next likely Silicon Valley, doesn't it? Yeah, look, we've got all the assets to do it. You mentioned at the top uh, the amount of federal research and development. We've talked about the strength of the higher education uh, system. The, that R&D is spread both between direct federal labs and also the funding that goes into universities in the region is actually more than goes into universities in any other major region mm -hmm. uh, in the country, not even counting the direct federal R&D that's happening here. The education level is very high. The quality throughout the system is very high. But uh, we aren't yet performing the way an innovation hub would work from a startup ecosystem standpoint, just from a top-line economic growth standpoint. If you look at major metropolitan areas, we've been one of the slower growth major metropolitan areas in the United States since the recovery from the Great Recession. We need to turbocharge that. We think that really focusing on talent is a way to do it, and it reinforces what we, what businesses need today, but also attracting more jobs as they think about where they're locating that growth and where is the entrepreneur going to start their business. The great thing about the Greater Washington Partnership is it's a business organization that's focusing on solving problems like these. So after the break, we're going to return and continue our conversation with Jason Miller, the CEO of the Greater Washington Partnership, and Jill Klein, Dean of American University School of Professional Extended Studies. We'll be right back. Thank you to our sponsor, the Greater Washington Board of Trade. The Greater Washington Board of Trade represents leading businesses, nonprofit organizations, and academic institutions, and has helped shape the development of our region for over 130 years. Visit boardoftrade.org to learn about how a Board of Trade membership can help your organization succeed in this rapidly changing marketplace. We're back in this What's Working in Washington Extra. We're here in the studio with Jason Miller, the CEO of the Greater Washington Partnership, and Jill Klein, Dean of American University's School of Professional Extended Studies. Jason and Jill, what is the Capital Collab? The Capital Collab, Jonathan, is a collaborative between the leading universities and the leading businesses in the capital region, uh, from Baltimore to Richmond, focused on uh, developing talent in the ecosystem, developing and commercializing our technology, and changing the perception of the region, all in the interest of, perf of increasing economic performance and making this one of the world's leading innovation hubs. The first effort, uh, which we're really excited about and American has been a leader on, is uh, the creation of digital technology credentials. This is enabling digital proficiency and improving the quality of the set of skills that students are learning across universities throughout the entire region that will strengthen the quality of the talent pool and better connect students with employers. Or in, in our first segment, we you, you had asked this great question that said, well, isn't this just about learning how to use a word application right. better? And, and the answer is what you really need is this intentionality. And what makes this so special 
is that the universities and the businesses really came together and the businesses said, here's what we want. And the universities were able to take those what we call knowledge, skills, and abilities and really create a very deliberate set of learning outcomes. So now at American University, if we say a student has earned this digital technology credential, it's going to be the same way that all the other universities are going to do it. And that level of consistency is really important because what it does is it signals to the region and our growth that we really understand what it means to put qualified students into the economic engine of the region. And we want our students to stay here, by the way. So, Absolutely. I mean, that, a, a, a big piece here is that we've got leading universities and many of our students will pick up and potentially go to other regions. And quite frankly, you, you heard Jason say in the beginning, we have over 200,000 job openings. We would like our students to choose to stay here. And so part of that is giving them these extra motivators uh, by being able to say, we'll bake this into your educational experience. And this is, by the way, we know the employers want this. So and that's this, great. Is this a curriculum, a common curriculum, or is this going to be a set of common skill assessment tools? How does this play out? So that's a great question because what it really says is here's a common set of learning outcomes. And each university really gets to embed those into their curriculum in the way that is most appropriate. Mm -hmm. So, for example, at American University, we're not creating new curriculum. What we're doing is we're making sure that our existing courses create pathways for students. And we've been very intentional in identifying multiple pathways so no matter what a student studies, they can choose this basket of pathways. So it's usually about four to six courses. And if they take those courses, we know they will have met the learning outcomes that have been described by the you know, GWP collab. That's, that's really nice. So it's not, oh, I have to go do this extra. Hmm. It's right in the way we teach. Jason, this seems to me to be um, in some ways to grow out of a lot of the cybersecurity credentials that we, we already have around town. Is, is that what was uh, in the business community's mind as you started to formulate this program? Look, I think the notion of a credential is actually really important because part of this is about making a market uh, and connecting students to employers in a clear way. So Jill talked a little bit about this. I think when you say employers, it's actually really important. This isn't just a set of technology firms. This is companies across industries, healthcare pro service providers, um, uh, financial services, uh, aerospace and defense across industries saying, look, for everyone that we hire, here is a set of specific knowledge, skills, and abilities that we want them to have, irrespective of job function. That is uh, the digital technology credential that we've called for, for generalists. Then for any technical person, there's a set of skills and capabilities that we want around data analytics, around cybersecurity, and around uh, AI and machine learning, which uh, increasingly are converging across these different jobs. and what many of the employers who have huge demand in that space are saying is, look, I can hire somebody who's super deep on one specific thing, but if these things are converging over the next three to five years, I need them to have a little bit of fluency across each of these capabilities. 
So you have a credential that is baked into existing curriculum. It may be four courses or so of curriculum at an American university or a VCU that a student gets. They are marked. The companies see that the set of students that get that credential. They are the companies are offering preferential resume screening, preferential interviews, preferential internships. Uh, job shadowing, mentorship opportunities. So the companies are saying, look, we want you students to get this and we're putting our money where our mouth is because we're putting uh, energy and resource and preference behind the students that have these credentials to both increase the demand and lift the overall talent pool. I've got to tell you, over the years, I've sat in meetings as a policy advisor working with various state and local governments talking with universities and employers about some of these issues. And it's often a Venus, it's been a Venus Mars conversation, you know, getting universities to collaborate. What changed? I mean, Jason, I, I mean, maybe I should touch you to, to, to get some of that specialness <laughs> you've got. What is it about this moment in time that that's getting the universities and the business community to coordinate on this? Look, our aspirations are actually very similar, right? All of us, businesses and universities, would benefit from this region being one of the world's leading innovation hubs, period. It benefits leading institutions in different ways, but all would benefit. In addition, the day-to-day, -day, whether it's the talent that businesses need or the production of talent from universities, finding ways to collaborate is positive. That doesn't mean that universities and frankly businesses aren't competing every day. They are. But some of this, frankly, is how do you harness that competition for some of these common goals, right? You have universities both learning from each other and pushing themselves internally to move faster because they see what other universities are doing. You have businesses saying, oh, you know what? I better be at the table or these other leading businesses are going to have you know, access to talent coming out of the universities. So that has fostered this environment where people are saying, you know what, us actually improving the, the, the entire market is going to be beneficial for all of us. And this is the way we get there. It's interesting to see how we're communicating. So for example, a number of us in the university community, we're talking very, um, you know, frequently about, all right, so here's how we think we're going to solve this in our university, because one of the things that we're really focused on is that by having this be a credential, it's something that travels with our alumni forever. Mm -hmm. It's going to appear on their American University transcript. So as they move companies and organizations, they're going to be able to say, I did this, and we'll over time create ways for them to refresh that capability. Another interesting um, dynamic, which certainly many people are focused on, is that we want our, you know, if people want their kids to go to college, but when the college experience is over, they also want their children to be employed. And so this really creates a way to bridge that gap without creating this separate skilling space. The fact that we're able to take this credential definition and literally embed it in a really broad, inclusive way into our curriculum says that we're not disrupting the way we want to get our students through their programs. 
But now we've got one more indicator that our student is not only well-educated, but well-educated to go into the workplace. So I'm enjoying this conversation, and I'm fascinated to think about what you've accomplished so far, but also what's in the future. So after the break, we're going to come back and talk about some of the things that you all have in store for us. I'm here with Jason Miller, the CEO of the Greater Washington Partnership, and Jill Klein, Dean of American University's School of Professional Extended Studies. We'll be right back. Thanks to Auric, an international law firm that focuses on technology, energy, and infrastructure finance. Clients worldwide call on it for forward-looking commercial advice on transactions, litigation, and compliance. Learn more at auric.com. Thank you to our sponsor, the Greater Washington Board of Trade. The Greater Washington Board of Trade represents leading businesses, nonprofit organizations, and academic institutions, and has helped shape the development of our region for over 130 years. Visit boardoftrade.org to learn about how a Board of Trade membership can help your organization succeed in this rapidly changing marketplace. And we're back in this What's Working in Washington Extra. We're talking about the Capital Collab and its recent launch of a credentialing initiative. We're here with Jason Miller, the CEO of the Greater Washington Partnership, and Jill Klein, Dean of American University School of Professional Extended Studies. Well, we've had a very interesting conversation so far talking about the credentialing. Jason, in meetings that I've been in where I've been exposed to some of your, your board members, I rarely see them get as excited individually as they do around this initiative. They almost start pounding the table. What have you they're, seen? They're, uh, they're unbelievably excited. I think they're excited um, both at the speed at which this has moved, which is incredible, and I'll talk a little bit about that, but also the potential that this could mean for the region. I mean, I think all of them. So when I when I started in this role at the beginning of 2017, I went around and sat down with my board members. We were talking about the different issues that the partnership could take on. For them, talent is always front and center. And all of them would talk about I have this partnership with this university, and I have this partnership with that university, and those are all great. But if you added all of them up, they're not actually anywhere close to the scale of the problem. I have 35 students in a program at University X in Maryland, and I have 58 students in a program in University Y in Virginia. Those are expensive from a transactional standpoint for a bilateral relationship, and they're not at scale. This came about because we had a lunch in the beginning of 2018 with nine university presidents and seven Greater Washington Partnership board members. And the question was, we got some great businesses and we got some great universities. Should we do something together? I mean, it was a really open agenda. And very quickly, I think people got excited about the opportunity. We launched the collab within four months. We launched the collab four months after an open agenda lunch and really took on this credentialing effort. So that got launched in April. Two universities launched the digital tech credential, George Mason and VCU in January. American and two additional universities are launching it this fall. We have additional ones that will likely join that in the fall and in early uh, 2020 when we're going to be launching the specialist set of credentials around those three years. That is unbelievably fast. I think a lot of uh, businesses see universities as slow in pace. And I think they are overwhelmed 
by the excitement amongst the universities. They see it as the big need that they have from a talent standpoint. And the fact that we've built this platform, the potential goes well beyond what we're doing on this digital technology credential. Yeah, without giving away any names, I, I've talked with people that are, you know, senior CEOs and university presidents, and their eyes literally dance when they start to talk about this initiative. I, uh, this may be one of the, I hope we've given it, everybody a, a good understanding of this may be one of the most important momentum building things that we can do right now as a region. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the fact, look, We've had some wins as a region over the last year, undoubtedly. And the fact that we're doing this, we're trying to, we're, we want this to be the leading university business partnership in the country. We want it to be a national model for others. And if we're seen, not just from an output standpoint, the benefits we get, but if we're seen as a national model that accrues to the perception of this region as being on the leading edge of education, as being on the leading edge of business and being on the leading edge of innovation. Well, you know, I have to say last week I was in Seattle at a conference and I was taught, this was on lifelong learning. I started to talk about this. And of course, I get very excited. And I could see my peers in other regions saying, is, is this something that we can replicate? I said, well, once we're really successful <laughs> and we know we've got this nailed, we'd be really happy to make sure that yeah. you get there. But it is the pace. Uh, Jason and I cannot emphasize enough how fast this moved. And I think when I talk to my peers in the universities, we all kind of pinch each other and say, wow, we really came together with these businesses and we're all really excited. We're excited for our universities and we're really excited for our students. Well, this program, What's Working in Washington, exists because we want to make sure that everybody understands how dynamic this region is. And it's been terrific having an opportunity to show our listeners that there's stuff happening here that's going to change in a material way how students study and how employers find the talent they need. So thanks very much for joining us today. Jason Miller, the CEO of Greater Washington Partnership. Thank you. And Joe Klein, Dean of American University School of Professional and Extended Studies. Thank you. take a moment to do a shout out for the sponsors that make this show possible. You know, the conversation that we just had is a great example of how and why economic development in this region requires a new approach. For so long, we've taken a view that economic development falls from the sky, that somehow growth happens just because. We've been very fortunate to be close to the federal government and all the money that it provides. But the 21st century requires new kind of workers. It requires a new approach for how to work with government. Indeed, the government is looking for technology in places it never did before. We need to be thinking regionally, not meaning that we don't compete across region, because that's nonsensical. Of course we do, but in things like 5G and things like talent development and in other areas that I see on a daily basis, if we don't figure out how to create the right conditions to help entrepreneurs grow business, to help the federal government get the technology it needs, and to have private companies, companies like Capital One, Amazon, and others get the talent they need, this region will never achieve its true potential. That's what this last show was about, and that is what every episode of What's Working in Washington is about. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich, music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. Tweet us at, at What's Working DC and tell us what you think of the show. Don't forget to like us on iTunes. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time. 
You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at 2.30 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.